Classics' new series, Operation Tomato Meter. We're so excited to finally introduce this podcast to you all. Hi, I'm Nadia, and I'm a senior from Townsend Harris. I'm Malia, and I'm also a senior at Townsend Harris. Hi, I'm Namira. I'm a junior at Townsend Harris. Operation Tomato Meter will be a weekly series on our YouTube channel and podcast platforms that will cover all your favorite films and TV shows. We'll be discussing, reviewing, praising, criticizing, and much more as we do everything from nitpicking the cinematography of Squid Games to marveling in Marvel's Phase 4 movies to freaking out over Timothy Chalamet being Timothy Chalamet and everything in between right here in the clave. But first, let's discuss the title of our podcast and where it comes from. In addition to providing the young people of our community with in-depth reviews of TV shows and films that they may not otherwise be interested in or hear, the goal of our podcast is to become officially certified as critics on Rotten Tomatoes. What that means is our reviews will be featured on the Rotten Tomatoes, Fandango, and Flickster websites for the public to see, but they would also help determine whether all the newest films and TV shows should get the highly coveted certified fresh label, or just played Rotten. Obviously, we know this is an ambitious goal. We don't believe that any high school publication has achieved what we're trying to achieve, but with your help, we can make it happen. In order to be certified, we need to have 200 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So feel free to reach out to your families, your friends, your relatives. Enemies. Right, to rate us five stars. And if you're watching on YouTube, the link is in the description. Uh, On Apple Podcasts, you just search for us at THHS Classic, and you can also follow us on Instagram at at THHS Classic to get more updates. We also have another ambitious goal, to get Tom Holland here as an interviewee on our podcast. Stay tuned to hear more about that, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Today's film that we'll be talking about is one that you've probably heard of, unless you've been living under a rock or a dune. Please stop. Anyways, Dune, directed by Denis Villeneuve, stars an amazing cast of A-list actors, including Timothy Chalamet, Jason Momoa, and Zendaya. Did she really star in it, though? Uh, Let's pretend like she did. (laughs) But we'll get to that later on. So Dune is based on the original novel and later huge franchise by Frank Herbert, and, as of now, has made over a quarter of a billion dollars globally. And that number is still growing as we speak. In just a few days after it was released to theaters worldwide, Legendary Entertainment, which is the production company for the film, confirmed that there will be a sequel. Great. So, before we get into our discussion, we would just like to give you all a spoiler warning. As we are going to be discussing the film in great detail, if you would not like to see any of that yet, we suggest you click off. So, first things first, what are our overall thoughts on Dune 2021? So, this is the first in a two-part series, Mm -hmm. and I think the first thing that you think after watching it is, well, after thinking, obviously, what did I just watch? You also realize that the pacing was rather slow for the movie, and the ending was a huge cliffhanger. Absolutely. I think you just said a big word. After I walked out of that film, I think the thing playing in my mind over and over again was the pacing. I think it was very, very slow. And of course, we have to understand that considering they know beforehand they're going to make it two parts, course you can take your liberty to have more time to flesh out certain things more but I just think at some points it was a little too much it felt as if they could have cut a few things out do you agree I completely agree you got a walking two hours 45 minutes on this yeah. hello I haven't seen that length of the Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> and that movie was a whole autobiography let's not get into that though but let's talk about the pacing the pacing here was incredibly slow at the beginning 
hello, I want to get to the good stuff. Yes. I get it, House Atreides, I get it, Imperial Court coming over. But I want to see more about Timothy Chalamet's character, you know, Tall Atreides. Yes. So we got yeah. that at the end. I but agree. I really want that at the beginning. I, I definitely agree with you. I felt like as the main, as the protagonist of this film, I didn't really feel a connection to Paul Atreides until, as you said, the end. It just, and Timothy Chalamet is a great actor. I thought he did very well, but just considering like, I guess what, just the script at some points just didn't feel like I had a connection with his character. Yeah, I, I feel like their focus was a lot less on character development and more on maybe establishing that this was a movie that they could do with their huge budget yeah. and that they were just setting it up for the sequel. So maybe we can expect more when that does come out. Definitely. And now, especially that at the end of the first film, he's now met the Fremens, especially Chani, Zendaya's right. character, which is great to finally see her at the end of the film. Yeah. Seven minutes of screen time, so fulfilling. So fulfilling. And oh. let, me, let me mention that, it wasn't even in the storyline, it was just the visions that he was seeing. Yes, right. exactly. And also her narration at the beginning. So oh. thank goodness for that, we get to hear some Zendaya. But yeah, definitely we were Zendaya baited, definitely. Yeah, we did feel baited from those trailers. Like watching it, it definitely seemed like she was a larger part of the film. Mm -hmm. And then in the movie, the whole time you were just thinking, when is he going to meet her? Um, but yeah, so back to the pacing of the film, I definitely feel like a few things could have been cut out. Can Do you think we can think back to what specifically could have been cut out and what wasn't needed? I'm trying to think, because I think regarding the sandworm, I feel like there are a few scenes. I think the sandworm scene was especially needed to establish that it was a threat because it, become, it comes on later again. But I feel like there was another scene where he's watching a videotape like an educational film about the sandworm. So in cases like that, I feel like you already have one to establish a sandworm and then the other isn't really necessary. I think also that entire scene um, where they were following the sandworm and trying to save one of the ships, yeah. I think part of that, it went on for too long, mm. but it also did establish something that I also thought was really important is that the power of nature and the power of sand specifically. Yes. And also in that same scene as well, he did have another vision per se, so much that it kind of rendered him unable to move. He was just so consumed by this that his own, that Gurney had to come out and take him back. Right, and that was from breathing in all the spice. Yeah. Right, and I think something that we weren't clickbaited on was that they actually filmed in deserts, like, hello? Yes. Uh, that big budget coming into use here. Not only did they film in deserts, they filmed like multiple deserts. I think there was mm -hmm. like Jordan and Saudi Arabia, which that is intensely hot. Right. hot. But like, I think going that extra step yeah. was just the perfect thing to set the setting for this movie. Like, it was no nowhere near where you would get with like CGI or maps like that. And actually, there wasn't that much CGI in the movie itself, besides like sandworms. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's great. Definitely with their world building, it definitely you could, as a viewer, be immersed in this world. So I think in that regard, they did really well with their cinematography. Like you said, their budget, their production was amazing. And even there was one scene when they first land on Arrakis and then they do like a whole um, pan over like the top of the city and you see a bunch of buildings. And I thought that was just beautiful. Like, I mean, that of course, that part was CGI, that whole city. But I thought that was really great and very, it definitely like from visual point of view was very beautiful. Maybe one thing that was a bit disappointing, um, but also understandable considering that it takes place in a desert, is the coloring in the movie. But even when they were on um, their own homeworld, 
which is an ocean planet, even those colors were a bit drab. I don't know mm. if that was exactly the point that they were trying to make, um, but really on Arrakis, uh, the only color that we saw was the eyes of the Fremen. Yes. I feel like everything was rather cool tone. Like, it wasn't, like, extremely warm. I feel like it was almost, like, not on a grayscale, but, like, everything was taken out of color. Yeah. Very beige. Very beige. Well, would that have worked, maybe, on Arrakis to kind of, like, pop the Fremen's eyes more in contrast to, like, that drab kind of coloring of the whole rockets in comparison to their eyes. I actually liked what they did with that. I think that the coloring of their eyes was sort of a big deal, probably in the book mm. also. I remember there was something um, where their, their eyes were described as being blue upon blue. Yeah. But I'm glad that they didn't make them like glowing intensely or anything. It made it seem a lot more natural. Yes. But it was still really cool to see like the entire eye, not just like the retina was blue. It was really cool. I remember at first, or from the trailers, because, you know, they don't pop up like so often the Fremens, but when I was watching the actual film, I realized that not just the pupil, but like the entire eye was blue, and that's the blue on pump blue, and I thought that was really cool, and I noticed it like midway film. I was like, that's great. But as for what you said about it not being too intensely blue, the 1984 version cannot relate. I watched... I started the 1984 film and their eyes are so insanely blue. It looks as if they put like a filter over the eye and it wasn't oh, like, I don't know, it's just very jarring. They so definitely in that regard. Budget. Sorry? They didn't have a budget that was um, yeah. that big for the film, so what they could do didn't look as good as the one from 2021, obviously. Yeah. They didn't have the technology. Do it in post. Never a good thing. Never, <laughs> right. Never a good thing. But yeah, I mean... I, since we can go into how it compares to the 1984 version and it was very interesting seeing it after the 2021 to see how they approach certain things differently and I know you have seen some clips of the 1984 as well and just in the way they have t approach explaining the whole political atmosphere of the film because I feel like doing 2021 in an effort to not over explain at some parts it could feel like it's a little confusing do you agree? I know, like, do you think that's possible that a viewer can see Dune 2021 and possibly be a little confused? Definitely. But here's the thing. I feel like giving away too much to the audience is so boring. It's I want to figure things out. And that's exactly. exactly what I did with Dune. It took me after, like, watching it to sit down and realize, wow, they had a whole, like, hierarchy going on. Right. Yeah, whole, exactly. They had a whole moment there. And I think the thing with that, with the political atmosphere, is that Dune 2021... But it can clearly show, like, with its dialogue especially, about how the emperor does this, how the emperor does that, how different um, different houses rule. And something that really, like, stood out to me is, like, how House Atreides was, like, one of the most powerful houses and they just got taken down. Exactly. I feel like that power dynamic that you can see in the political atmosphere is so clear. So I will comment on that. That was a good job well, done. Exactly. And also in regards to the Fremens and, like, that commentary and how, like, indigenous people will have their lands taken away from them by people higher in power. Mm -hmm. Like, such as the House of Atreides, when they were given the land now from the emperor, now that they owned Arrakis, and then, you know, now it's under control by the, by the Atreides house, and it's really the Fremen's land. So I thought that was also a, in addition to what you said, Vera. Yeah, I really liked how relevant they made it to a lot of things that we've been hearing about recently, mm -hmm. especially the whole space capitalism, feudalism thing. Um, and it was very interesting, and I know that this was obviously written a long time ago, but um, they made it very relevant, and I'm glad that they made a point to do that. 
Yeah, and like going back to like Nadia's point about like different adaptations, something that I like personally notice is that in the book, um, the ecologist is actually a guy, but in the movies we see it as like a woman. I feel like little changes like that, I appreciate that and makes things more interesting. It also provides more representation, which I yes. feel like is super important, super, you know, contemporary it's like a contemporary issue that we have today. And I feel like that little like add-on really helped us see like, oh wow, you could you can do this in film and in media. Right, I really liked what they did with that because they could have easily have left her character as a guy, but there weren't so many female characters, and obviously Zendaya's character wasn't given that much screen time. Um, so they really wanted a character who would, you know, really contribute something to the plot, and I'm glad that they did that to um, give more diversity and more of a femininity to the film. I agree. And to add on, the 1984, so far, I haven't finished it, admittedly, but so far it's like majority white or white cast and to, to see the 2021 version with the increased diversity i think it's great in terms of representation i agree with you both that's definitely a plus in the 2021 and then also what you said about over explaining 1984 as i found definitely does that and i know it's a complicated plot the world building the hierarchy the rules of this world need explaining and for the audience to be on the same page but 1984 took it a little bit too far and I just definitely wasn't a fan of it with the way they showed the characters thoughts and that's not something we haven't seen before it's definitely you know common to have like the thoughts be like played you know you hear the audio over but I just feel like they did it too often like every scene it was you hearing characters thoughts and that gets a little repetitive I'm glad they didn't do that in the 2021 version because in the book um, I know that there were some like monologues and some epitaphs in there that probably shouldn't have been in a film adaptation of it because it just would have been too long and um, the more of that you have in it the more the pacing is going to be too distracting. Yeah in terms of pacing as we said the 2021 was slow it definitely felt that the 1984 was going a tad too fast because they only had a runtime of about one hour 47 so definitely to fit everything in, it was getting a little too exposition dumpy. So it was a lot of exposition being like dumped onto the audience in regards to Emperor and the treaties and all that. I think there was one, and it just the writing of it felt very forced in that sense because the Emperor would be like, this will then lead the House of Atreides to think this, and then it will cause a conflict between the House of Atreides and Harkonnens. And then watching that, I was like, it does feel like he's spoon feeding the audience what's going to happen just laying it all out and it kind of just takes away the element of surprise and how do you feel about like House of the Trees in general you know having like these humans mm. and with, with a duke not a very high power position but a duke but um these humans who are like noticed as like one of the most fiercest forces in the entire imperium how do you feel about that mm. do you wanna I like I like what they did with it, how they made the Emperor seem so powerful, but also this duplicitous nature of him and also his followers. Um, but yeah, I agree that um, the House of Atreides was interesting and that there were humans and they were feared, but also respected. I think they were much more respected than House um, Harkonnen, which was full of people who everyone knew they weren't great and no one really wanted them in charge of the planet, which was so important because of all the spice production. And after talking about House of Atreides, in regards to, in regards to House of Harkonnen, which were the villains of this, this story, how do we feel that they fleshed those out in regards to the 2021 film? 
because I feel like since it was over two hours in the first part, I didn't, we didn't really see, I feel like we didn't see enough of the, forgive me for forgetting the name, but what was his name? The main Harkonnen. Baron. Baron, sorry, the Baron. We saw him only how many scenes? Just like three, four? Yeah, and just like a few mini scenes where he was like explaining sort of what was going on. Mm. It's clear that Baron is not a, like an entire force. I feel like behind the Baron is probably the Emperor. And I feel like that's something we're going to see in Dune Part 2. I feel like the Baron was a really good way to introduce us to how unfair this Imperium is and how like being favored by the emperor can get you places, right? Yes. And poor Kasatriti, they were <laughs> wiped out in a single day. But I feel like the Baron has a lot of potential only because he's kind of like this very cruel character. He does not care for the Fremen. He does not care for, he does not care for uh, Kasatriti. He doesn't even care for keeping his word. He barely, just barely keeps his word to um, the Mother Jesuits. Mm. And about the mother Jesserits, actually, the better Jesserits, I thought, um, well, since watching 1984 to 2021, I thought 2021 did a good job in regards to the, the box scene with the hand. And that also kind of ties back to the coloring we mentioned earlier. Um, as compared to the 1984 scene, the better Jesserit scene where Paul puts his hand in the box, it was colored it was like different colors it wasn't just like strictly uh cold colors or warm colors it was just how it was but in the 2021 it was a dark room a big room lights were off i just felt like that coloring definitely added to the fact and it elevated it and it felt definitely more intense and in that this was a important scene and so i thought in some ways the 2021 did a better job of elevating the Bene Gesserits and like their power and the and the intensity of these scenes. I really like that. Um, also, because of the darkness, you also sort of felt Paul's confusion and, in a way, his pain as well. Like at first, it was a bit confusing. Like, is he experiencing the pain, or is he um, just being so deeply affected by whatever's happening to him in the box? Because it wasn't really clear at first. But um, I did like what they did with the coloring of that scene. Yeah. And it did definitely make sure that the Bene Gesserits were portrayed as being so powerful. Yeah, and adding on to that, that scene, I love the pacing for that scene, actually. I like the quick cuts, because I feel like going back from Paul to um, the mother Gesserit to then his own mother, Jessica, that was such an intense yes. scene. It was like, why is Jessica allowing this to happen? It's a test, isn't it? Will he die? Will he won't? Will he take it out? Like, all those questions. That was an amazing scene for me. Absolutely. Also, I helped establish, like, Paul can take it. Paul can take on responsibility, yeah. can take on being blindly led. And that's exactly what happens when he's deemed as his prophet on um, Arrakis. He's following this path that's already been laid out to him that he keeps hearing his friend talk about. That also goes into, um, I guess, one of the themes of it and what was definitely the director's focus, which was making it a coming-of-age story as opposed to uh, focusing on the political background of it. So what do you guys think about the overall theme, sort of to wrap this up? I feel like um, we definitely see Paul travel from being the spoiled son of the Duke to being someone who starts caring about his family, who starts caring about his kingdom, and then who starts caring later on about the Fremen. He's so inclined to be concerned about the Fremen. We see that in like the water scene with the palm trees and all of that. Why not save the water? 
you know, Paul is becoming more compassionate, but he's also becoming more um, into himself. He's becoming more of a leader, which is exactly what his father would have wanted. I agree. We see Paul go through this journey of being unable to properly use the voice. And then as it goes on, there's one moment where he does. And then at the end, he also voices out that he wants to stay with the Fremens, going against his mother, who wants to leave. So I think that was an important decision at the end of the movie for him to make that decision to stay um, on Arrakis. Arrakis. I think also um, him killing the first person who ever was killed was also very important. And it also showed that he was changing his fate because in his visions, yes. I believe that we saw that the person who he killed was actually in his visions, mm -hmm. which implies that he would have been in his future. But um, since he killed him, now it's, it's, un it's unclear whether he's going to follow that path that was already laid out for him or whether he's going to take his own path. And even the vision that he had of um, Chani killing him at some point, I think that was also very interesting to see how his visions are not always, they don't always come to fruition. So we can see. So while the visions may give us a hint, a hint of what's to come in part two, we're not completely spoiled per se, what is gonna come in part two. Part two, there's still a lot of element of surprise and not knowing there. Something that interested me was how they called this the holy war. There's something holy about this, something about freedom and something really tying into how the entire period is going to work. And I think by Paul leading the front, which is what my assumption is, you know, with those visions in mind, we kind of see how this young, um, young Duke of Atreides, well, what the left of Atreides, not only follows his path on nobility, also follows his path with being um, the son of a Jesuit. He is learning how to use the voice and how to use it efficiently. And he's also with his mother who can teach him more. There's so much happening there. In a way, he's caught between those two worlds. And I hope we get to see more of that. And he's sort of struggling with his identity. I agree. I'm really excited for the sequel. Mm -hmm. I am excited. I, I wasn't a complete fan of the film walking out of it. But I could, as we all just mentioned, all the great points of the film, I could objectively say it was a good film. And regards to development of the Paul's character in some ways and also just the world building and the message it has of like the political stratosphere of the entire film. I still have to go back and acknowledge that the pacing just really dropped it down for me in a lot of ways. And it's just a mix because it's not clear cut. It's not, you know, black or white. It's a good film with good aspects, but then I just feel like the pacing really just drove it down and just some parts where it felt a little bland, you know, like those extra scenes that we agreed could have been cut out. I think at some points it definitely felt too much, like you said. So it was a good film, had its great points, but at the end of the day, I feel like definitely bland in some ways. You know what I think? I think it was a good film. I think it was really great to see it at the very end when I understood every other thing. But also, it's just a me thing, I love a good title drop. And the title drop that we got from Baron was amazing. <laughs> I am a sucker for title drops, so that just like brought up 10 different points for me. <laughs> I can't, I can't argue with that. Title drops are great. I'm like, there it is. Yep. So, I mean, any closing thoughts? I think that one of the high points of the film is definitely the little things that they did to really elevate what um, was originally a very highly acclaimed novel. Uh, like what they did with the voice and um, just everything, the effects, everything that they did with the budget. I think they really showed that they could film what was originally called unfilmable. Um, and it, it was very good. I think there were problems with it, 
And the overall question, does it live up to the hype? That is the question. I, I'm still a little conflicted about it. I feel like it definitely is strong, but living up to the hype that was, that's been here for two years since it was, people knew it was being filmed into 2019. I feel like it doesn't exactly live up to the hype. I think I kind of left the theater feeling a bit underwhelmed by it. I agree. I feel as though Dune has a lot of bright spots, but the bright spots for me are actually in like pre-production and post-production for me. I feel like knowing that props were real, mm. that shuttles were real, knowing that um, Hans Zimmerman, who's the composer who also worked on you know, Interstellar and Inception, amazing. amazing. He created new instruments for Dune, which I thought was absolutely mind blowing. That's I was, awesome. I was shocked to my core. I was like, wow, I who didn't really even gave know that. Him that project. That is insane. But um, hats off to that, getting him awesome. too. Yeah. But those are the bright spots which yeah. stick out to me. The story building is good, mm. objectively, but I feel like there's so much more to do. Yes. And I can't wait to see that in the sequel. And you actually just reminded me, I know we said closing thoughts, but the music, <laughs> I had to so talk about good. the music. That was definitely one of the strongest points in the movie for me. That definitely carried it a lot in terms of emotions and just even in scenes where it's the, what's going on in the scene isn't exactly too exciting or something, but there's always some underlying music that's setting the tone of the planet that you're on or what's going on. So I definitely agree that the music was a big, big, strong point in this film. And it wasn't just like normal Western music that you would hear in other movies because he created those instruments and he had a whole choir come in to record things. It sounded so alien and I love that about it, that it, they didn't make it so generic, that it sounded something that is so futuristic and something from a planet very far away and that just really brings you into the story and it had chanting and these vocals in the background that you might not have even noticed at first and it's really those little things that um i think for me make it a very good film so we may have not loved dune but i definitely think that dune 2021 is very respectable and a great adaptation from the 80s definitely better than the 80s i agree in, that, in terms of that so any closing, closing, closing thoughts? thoughts? No more. I think it did live up to some of the hype. Uh, we were definitely baited with Zendaya, but hopefully <laughs> she'll have a much bigger role in the next film. Um, and yeah, they did a very good job with it. And I think that fans of the franchise are probably pretty pleased with what they did with it. I agree. I think definitely some terms I was let down, but in other ways, I de definitely think it sort of lives up to the hype in some ways. Now that we've said our thoughts about film about Dune, we want to hear what you thought about Dune. If you have any questions or concerns or want to give us a recommendation for what you want to see next week, email us at operationtomatometer at gmail.com. Going back to what we mentioned earlier, sub-operation Tom Holland. Yes, we just made that up. Here are a quick few details. So Marvel's new Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man No Way Home, is coming out this year on December 17th. It is imperative that Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, a Queen's superhero and student, comes to Queen's, to Queen's, comes to Townsend Harris at Queen's High School. Namir, with more information on that. But before that, we do know that you came to Bronx Science here. We're not getting out of that one. You know, we are a... Queen's High School on a Queen's College campus, and you really cannot get any more Queen's than us. In fact, Bronx? Queen's! Queens High School, Queens College, Townsend Harris, you see what we're talking about here? So if anyone on Tom Holland's team or Tom Holland himself is watching, 
we would really be so honored to have you come onto our podcast and everyone please help get the word out because this is the last movie and it would really be great if we could get someone who plays Peter Parker, Queens High School student, to come to a Queens school and speak with Queens students. Queens, Queens, Queens. Very important note. Queens. And we are a podcast dedicated to film and we'd love to hear any insights that he has. I'm Nadia. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Namira. And we hope you tune in next time on Operation Tomato Meter. Hope to see you next week. Bye! Bye.